pastors, deacon, board members, and you know what? Business owners. People are driving by your business or church all hours of the day and night, and you need a sign that's going to grab their attention. And there's nothing better than an efficient LED sign that's going to capture a potential client or a customer or congregation member's attention, like a sign from Anderson LED Signs. Anderson LED Signs is based in Jonesboro, Arkansas, but they travel all over, Tony. All over. They've done business for your father in Illinois. We know of businesses in Jonesboro they've done. But again, like I said, it's not just Arkansas. It's not just Illinois. Wherever you are just about, they can put a sign in. So there's no harm in calling and trying to find out whether or not they can come to you and what kind of deal they can make with you. Call today at 1-870-275-1111. We've known Greg Anderson for a while. We know for a matter of fact that this new presenting sponsor is going to take care of you. He was super excited to get on board for season two. And what a better way to kick off this brand new one-year anniversary episode than with new sponsors. Guys, check out Anderson LED Signs at 870-275-1111. Another new sponsor we have this month is the author, Sheila Texter, with a brand new book that just came out, Life After the Mistake. Brian, there is a myth out there that once you're a Christian, everything's perfect. Well, this book is here to tell you that's not true. If you've fallen just short of being perfect as a Christian, there's others out there just like you. And she knows from experience, not just because she's lived it, but because she's experienced it in ministry. They pastor a church in Blyville, Arkansas. These are some credible people, and specifically this author is going to minister to you in this brand new, hot off the presses book that you can, it is available right now. Right now. Just now came out. And you can find it on Amazon.com. Search for Life After the Mistake. Or you can connect with her on Facebook, Brian. And she said that she would give you a signed copy of the book for the same price. Guys, go check out Life After the Mistake by Sheila Texter. The temperatures are getting hotter outside. And as soon as the heat starts going away, it's going to start getting cold outside. No, you don't say. One thing you're going to have to get taken care of is you're going to have to have a house with a regulated temperature throughout all those seasons. Whenever it's hot, you want the inside to be cool. Whenever it's cool, you want the inside to be warm. And so the person to get in touch with is Nat Anderson. You can call Nat Anderson today at 1-870-926-8700. I can personally attest, Nat Anderson has not only put in a high efficiency heater in my home, but has put in a brand new air unit in my home. And our house is absolutely comfortable. Call him today, Anderson Heat and Air, 870-926-8700. You can also find him on Facebook at Anderson Heat and Air of NEA. And hopefully, you'll find him pulling up to your driveway the next time you have a problem fixing and everything, because Nat Anderson is a professional. Dr. April Jones, you know it, I know it, Brian knows it. We can't do it without you, but I wouldn't want to do it without her, Brian. She has been a huge part of the Crucial Conversation from day one. And you know what she's going to do for you guys this episode? We're giving you an extra 10% off. So it's not just 10% no more. It's 20% off. You put in promo code CRUCIAL2020 and get 20% off anything in her store. They don't just have books, but they also have apparel. They have journals. They have it all, Brian. Go to thedrifteddrum.com backslash the crucial conversation and get 20% off your entire order by putting in promo code crucial 2020.
Hey guys, this is Brian. And I'm Tony. And you're listening to the Crucial Conversation Podcast. First of all, I can't believe that we're actually in the month of August already. It seems like 2020 has flown by. And, of course, um, you know, it's one of those things that a lot of people say that uh, time flies when you're having fun. It really, hadn't really been all that fun. Yeah, I had a little bit of some problems, but it has led us to uh, be able to have the opportunity to finally be able to come down to Cabot, Arkansas and sit down where we've had a few guests uh, come out of Cabot. But the thing is, is that we've never actually interviewed anybody in the city of Cabot. They just live there. And so here we are finally actually in Cabot at a church that's right off the interstate in Cabot. And it's probably uh, one of those churches that if you live in this city and you're witnessing somebody and they go, well, where do you go to church at? And you tell them, well, it's the one on the interstate. Everybody in Cabot surely knows exactly which church you're talking about because you cannot miss it. But we are here speaking with the pastor's wife of, of New Life Church in Cabot, Arkansas. And she is actually the uh, the first lady of the Arkansas district. Her husband, Tim Gaddy, that we've had on is our district superintendent. And uh, it is our honor to welcome to the podcast, Stacy Gaddy. Thank you for coming to, to speak with this on a on a Saturday when you could be doing anything else and you made time to, to talk to us and kind of share your story. And we're incredibly grateful uh, to be your guest today. Thank you for the honor. So you guys have got a lot going on here in Cabot. When we drove onto the parking lot, I asked Brian, where do I go? Because you have your old sanctuary your slightly bigger sanctuary and you guys are building a brand new church on the same property um that's exciting you guys got a lot of stuff going on here tell us a little bit about everything you guys got going on in cabot well goodness well i'm going to go back to something um that you said in your intro and about where our church is located so that was actually prophesied many years ago we were in a storefront and it was uh probably 18 years ago and a missionary came through and he prophesied that we would have a church that everybody would know where it was located. And then we're seeing that prophecy today because it's true, we're right here on the interstate. So that's been a blessing. Um, we're in a church building program. Those are just fun. <laughs> Woo! Am I convincing? <laughs> no, it's, I will say this to build a church during a pandemic is actually has been a good thing because, um, our schedule's been cleared out for the most part as far as traveling and things like that. So we've been able to be here and I've got a, a really big part in all of this. And so I've been able to kind of focus on the things with the church. And uh, also our team, the building team that we have, they've had some major cancellations. So like we are their focus. And at any time we can go knock on those two trailers that you saw when you drove into the building and get any help that we need, any questions and all that. So. Uh, building program has been kind of the center of things right now as we're continuing to minister and be the church and, and cab at reaching people. So that's the quite opposite of the building, uh, church building program that's going on in Wynn right now because the tornado went through Jonesboro. And so all of the electricians, all of the construction rebuild. But I'm glad to know that all your guys' stuff is on track because. Brian, we both know that Brother Gaddy is um, a visionary, and he very much so um, shows that in his preaching, especially at camp when he's talking to the whole district. 
what is it like being with somebody that's got so many responsibilities that it seems like he's going in every different direction? It's just like pulling you every which way. Yeah, because it's forced you to wear a lot of different hats as well. Ah, yes. Okay, (laughs) you're exactly right. And I found myself thinking a lot of times, what is my place? What is my role? Because he would be invited, he would be in a position, and then here I would come along and would think, okay, where do I fit in? So it's been a lot of inserting myself or seeing a need. Um, But as we've, now that was probably more in the earlier years of marriage and ministry. And then as we've kind of progressed along, it's a lot of team ministry. So a lot of things that we do together, um, team, I, I say the word team leadership, that's how we look at ourselves. We'll do leadership retreats and marriage retreats. And um, we may go to a conference and and I'll be asked to speak to the ladies and then he'll you know, take the night services and things like that. So that has been really fulfilling to see that over time, God has just sort of grown us together our, our, not just our relationship, but even just through ministry and how we complement one another. And he is, I will just say this, he has been um, so awesome in things because there's a lot of things that I didn't have the confidence to do. I n- never had a desire to stand behind a mic and to speak. I uh, wasn't really all that musical. Although when we started our church, I was forced to have to be because <laughs> we didn't have anybody. And so he was really, really encouraging of just, babe, you can do this. And then just as time kind of went on, here we are doing ministry together in so many different avenues. So you've, you've made a lot of transitions uh, because you're originally from New Brunswick, correct? Mm-hmm, so so in, in, in your life, has, what is, has there ever been a moment where uh, either... Uh, your husband has come to you and said, this is what I feel like the move we need to make? Or is it? has there been things that even in your own personal life where you prayed and God spoke to you about the next move you need to make and you went, I have no idea how we're going to do that? So right off the bat, something that comes to my mind was back in 2002. It was three years after we had started our church, actually maybe about two and a half years. And Uh, God really blessed when we started our church because my husband was able to be full-time from the beginning. However, I worked a secular job and I had, and I worked a full-time job and I carried all the the health benefits. So my husband uh, approached me and said, babe, I've really been feeling in prayer that you need to quit your job. And it was one of those things. In fact, you almost worded exactly like that, Brian. I thought, how on earth are we going to make this work? We can't afford insurance. Uh, you know, all the things that start coming to your mind. We lived in a tiny little apartment. We had, uh, you know, two small children, and we had hoped that at one day we would get to have a house or something like that. Well, I knew, of course, that that wouldn't take place if I quit my job. Long story short, I wrestled with it for several months, but as I began praying, the Lord confirmed to me as well that, yes, you are to quit your job. And I'm here today. It's the most amazing thing. When I gave my notice and no longer worked that job, stayed home and was able to be with the children and full-time with the church, God provided every single month. And it was something that we just unexpected sources. 
It was two months later, the Lord gave us a house. We were able to move from our apartment. The Lord led us. To, we had an old, old vehicle that we shared. We were able to get a minivan at the time. Everything that was opposite of what should have happened didn't because we were following after God's will. And I mean, that's exactly what he does. When you're following after what God says, we have to put our logic aside and think, all right, God is going to if he has asked us to do this, he's going to take care of us. And so that's been a, that's been a really special testimony to me about God's provisions and, and following after something, following after the will of God when it doesn't make sense. So something else that is absolutely crazy. I'm going to ask you one last question about your husband because you have an awesome story that we're going to get to. Uh, but Brian asked this question in his interview whenever we were talking with him. Um, and our listeners will be able to... Uh, um, equate to this but he asked him about whenever he preached at general no at youth congress um what is that like watching your husband preach to twenty thousand young people and you you know you're you're constantly with him but all these kids are seeing him like for instance for me your husband had such a huge impact in my life everybody knows that on this podcast brian knows that um your husband had such a huge uh, just a massive part in my life and he never knew that until i told him when i've 10, 15 years down the road, I finally tell them there's no many or no telling how many kids and young people and even adults that he's impacted their lives in ways that he would never know. What's it like watching your husband minister in such a way like that? Very humbling, extremely, because just to see where God has led and directed over the years is an incredible thing. We're so down to earth. We're we're nobody. We didn't come from preacher's homes. And to see that God has just opened doors. And and I will say this, it's not all about big ministry opportunities of things like that. That's wonderful. The second thing that comes to my mind, the, the you know, just humbleness of it and sweaty palms when I'm watching my husband and I am praying and just, you know, Lord anoint him. And, um, yeah, it's, I won't, I won't lie. It's a little nerve wracking at times just to know that the, the huge impact of this and, uh, you know, the large crowds and things like that, but he will preach the same, whether it's at youth Congress as he did when there were three people in our living room starting our church. So to me, I, I love that about him. It doesn't ever go to his head. Well, it's incredibly awesome to see. You you said humble, you, uh, humbling, but I've noticed that both of you all um, are very down-to-earth people because um, I was, I played drums at family camp a couple of years ago. When we were in the dining hall and instead of your husband sitting down with the other preachers and the guest speakers eating with them and he was up making sure everybody else was getting served. You were actually serving people. And I think that's where ministry nowadays have kind of taken a backseat to where we're called to serve other people. Mm-hmm. And now it's how high in ministry can I get? Like you just said, you know, he preached in front of 20,000 kids the same way he does in front of three. That's very, very awesome and shows that, you know, ministry is still the number one thing in his life. Very cool. But enough about your husband. (laughs) (laughs) This is fun to talk about him. Uh, I want to hear, um, you sent me this long text message I showed Brian on the way down. He was like, man, look at all what she was just saying. But I want you to kind of tell us a little bit about your childhood um, because you have a incredible story um, that I know is going to resonate with our listeners. So kind of start all the way back at the beginning and share us a little bit about you and your mom growing up. 
Well, I grew up in a single parent home. My parents separated when I was a baby, so I lived with my mom. Only I'm an only child. And when my mom was four years old, when, sorry, when I was four years old, she had been searching for something. She didn't know what it was. She grew up Catholic. All of my family is Catholic. And she just knew something's missing in my life, and she started just talking to God in general. If you exist, then I want you to show me. Show me your way. Um, we were driving. My mom is super spontaneous. Anybody that knows her, she you never know what she's going to do. She's just very, very spontaneous. So we're driving, and she's driving past like a community club and sees a bunch of cars and thinks, I wonder what's going on. And she stopped the car, got out, both of us, and she opened the door. And when she did, she immediately felt God's presence. And it was a little Pentecostal home missions church that had only been going probably less than a year. And that was the first time she ever felt the presence of God. So that was my introduction into a spirit-filled church. My mom was actually the first new convert of that church. And I will just say on a side note, uh, that church was a wonderful church. Many missionaries that are still on the field today came out of that church. So it was quite an honor to be brought up in a church with such a mission focus and, and a worldwide uh, impact. So that was our introduction to Pentecost, to truth. And um, a couple of years later, so my mom is just kind of, you know, uh, growing in God. A couple of year, like, years later, I'm six years old, my mom goes to a prayer meeting and she decided that she would just let me stay home and she got a babysitter. So a babysitter came to our house and watched me while she was at a prayer meeting. Um, she said three times the Lord impressed her to pray for me and she did. Didn't you know know what it was about or anything. When she came home, I'm sound asleep in my bedroom and um, I, at that time, I was so afraid of the dark, and so I would always sleep with the light on. So the light was on, and my mom had this dilemma of, oh, should I wake her? Should I just, the, the babysitter literally lived just two or three blocks down the street. She said, should I just take her home real quick? She decided just to let me sleep, and she would be back before I would ever even know that she was gone. So she was literally gone just a few minutes. Well, during that time, um, there was a man who, my mom was a social worker, she worked at a mental health clinic, worked with a lot of um, mentally disturbed people, and she had a client who actually needed to fill some, fulfill some community work, and he came to our house and would just do like odd jobs and things like that, so he knew where we lived, he was a really nice guy, I remembered him, he used to play ball with me, and and so uh, Levi, I don't know if I mentioned that was his name or not, he must have been in the, our yard watching until my mom had left because he entered into our house. And he went into my bedroom. Um, at that time, he later told the police officers that he was watching television and had gotten inspired about how to kill somebody. And it was by using car ether, and you put it, you spray it on a towel, and then you can smother somebody. So he went into my bedroom. Again, he's he's very mentally disturbed. Uh, they do believe that he was high at the same time. He came in with one intent, and that was to kill me. And when my mom came back, to kill her. So he did that. 
as far as he got the towel, he sprayed it with a car ether, and he started putting it over my face. And I remember that distinctly. To this day, I remember the sensation because I thought it was my babysitter washing my face. And I was so confused. Why is she washing my face? And then I, it started burning. And then that's the last thing that I remembered. And I was unconscious. So that had happened. And, and then just moments later, my mom drives in. And, you know, not to make her sound like a bad mom, she literally was gone just a few moments, never obviously expecting any of this to ever, you know, that anything would ever happen. When she drove up, she noticed that my bedroom light was off, and that was the first thing she knew something was wrong, because again, I was so afraid of the dark. As Soon as she stepped inside, she said she felt an evil presence, and she was afraid. He had been waiting inside the door, so when she walked through, Levi grabbed my mom and, um, and told her, he said, I'm here to kill you, I've killed your daughter, and I'm, I'm here to kill you. There are men outside. If I don't kill you, they're going to kill me. And again, he's, he's hearing voices. He's delusional. And my mom is terrified. She's just a small, petite little woman. And she, you know, thinks, what, on, what could she do? How, how on earth could she even fight back? He's holding her down. But she had been taught that when you are in trouble, you call on the name of Jesus. And remember, she had just come back from a prayer meeting, so she's already kind of fired up in prayer. And so she did. She yelled out the name of Jesus and then immediately started speaking in tongues. When she did that, he got so spooked, he immediately let go of her and started yelling at her to stop. And that made her speak in tongues more. And he kept saying, stop it, stop it. What are you doing? Stop it. And as my mom would tell it to me, the picture of it is her attacker is now the one who is backing up, terrified of my mother. He didn't know what was going on. He just knew he felt something that was not evident from this small little petite woman. And he was so scared and he was immediately confused as well. He didn't know what to do. And so he said, I've got to kill you, but he's afraid to now. Um, and so he kept using the same story about, you know, these men are outside. And of course, my mom didn't know if there were really men out there or what was going on. And so he finally kind of got to a point of, of a calmness. And my mom said, you know, where is Stacy? Where is she? What have you done with her? So he took her into my bedroom and I was laying on the floor and my mom said my lips were blue and she, she thought I was dead. She ran over to me and saw that I was still breathing. And so, you know, you kind of got to get the picture. She's the one in control now. He doesn't know what to do. Everything he had intended to come in and do, he's now too afraid and, uh, and yet I believe he really was hearing voices and really thought like if I don't take care of business here, I'm going to be killed. I, th I really believe he, you know, thought that. So my mom held me and um, eventually just a little while later, I became conscious. So Levi went outside supposedly talking to these men and we did find out later there, there definitely were no men out there. And he's outside and this is another part that I remember. Of course, a lot of this I was unconscious, but I remember this as well. My mom and I are sitting on my bed and my mom is, you know, kind of telling me, leave, something's happened to Levi. He's, he's, you know, really gotten crazy. We don't know what's going on. And, and my mom is very much a realist. She will just tell you the way it is. She's like, Stacy, he's trying to kill us. You know, she wasn't going to try to use the motherly, you know, we don't know what's going on. She was just very blunt. And I looked at her and I said, Mom, 
Jesus is not going to let anything happen to us. And I remember feeling this faith that just was such a confidence. Like I literally did not have fear that anything would happen. God was going to protect, he was going to protect us. And so a few minutes later, Levi came back in the house and he decided, okay, I'm not going to go through with my plan. He decided we're just going to go do, I'm going to do robbery. So he asked for my mom's car keys and, um, took the car, asked for all the money that she had. It was like $20. So thankfully he didn't get a lot of that. And he said, but don't go outside because those men are out there. And he left. He, he took off in my mom's car, took off with the $20. And uh, my mom immediately called the police and the ambulance and all of that. Um, they caught him a couple of days later. And so there was a relief in that, obviously, that he wasn't a, you know out there. And my on the way to the hospital that night we're driving and i'll never forget this i'm so sick that car ether had just made me really sick to my stomach and just the toxin of it and my mom took my hand and she said stacy we're gonna pray right now that the lord will never allow you to have one nightmare over this and we're gonna pray that god is gonna give you peace and this will never come back to bring fear into your life. And she prayed and we went to the hospital. Um, we got discharged that night, everything was okay. And I'm here to tell you that prayer absolutely took place. I am, I almost said my age, well past six years old, <laughs> many, many years later. And I have never had one nightmare and I have never lived in fear and the Lord answered that prayer. To me, the power of his protection was definitely miraculous. There's no doubt about that. God protected us. He saved us. But the residual effect of that, the peace that he gave us, and the fact that he covered a little six-year-old's mind, that I never lived in torment or fear. To me, that was almost the bigger miracle in all of this. And I still will thank the Lord over that because that is nothing there's not a, a pill there's not enough therapy that you could go through that will give you the peace that only the Lord can and I'm telling you I just I feel his presence right now I can because he is so good at not just the miraculous of what he does but the things that would be residual effects of the things that you go through to give you the peace to give you the comfort and all of that and, I, and I'm so thankful so you, you said the word fear. We're living in a very much so fear-driven society right now. And it's almost as if fear has crept into the church um, because we are rightfully so scared of what's going on with the pandemic right now. Every person in the world thought that it would be over by now, that if this is just another... Um, here today, gone tomorrow kind of thing, but it's really shifted the whole way we not only attend church, but live day-to-day -day life. Um, with you going through such a traumatic um, event at the age of six, correct? Um, what would you tell those, um, those moms and those parents that those kids that they have now that are of that age, they're living in fear because of everything that's going on right now. Um, I mean, I couldn't imagine. I, I always wonder what my three-year-old little girl thinks of everybody around her wearing masks. That could be scary, you know. 
what do you, what would you say to those parents you know that have children that's living in fear due to what we're living through today what would you say to them well I think first of all acknowledging the reality of where we're at we, we can't ignore that it's not happening that we aren't seeing changes in society right now even in just practical things like wearing masks but I think as a parent our job is always number one to model by what we say and by what we do of our hope is not in what the next press releases of our governor, what he says, and I'm and I'm appreciative of our governor, by the way, um, or our society. We're not looking. We're not looking to the media. We're not looking to culture. But what has God's word said about this? And we're going to choose to look at that. We're lifting our eyes. We're again, our our heads are not in the clouds. We realize what's going on here. But God will give us everything that we need to go through this time. And as far as the identifying with fear, that's a choice. We're not made to be fearful. We are made to be trusting in the Lord. It's only been through circumstances and experiences and our thoughts that allows fear to come into our heart. And so we have to choose. We believe God. We believe His Word. We trust Him and we say it and we model it. And I think some of the things that we model are the things that, um, you know, not necessarily against what is being asked, for instance, you know, we wear masks, we are following the things that our governor has asked of all of that, but we're not hiding out in our houses, we're not showing our children that we're letting this overcome us, that we are going through, we're trusting, we plead the blood, we pray. God has given us so many tools and weapons and covering that we shouldn't be fearful. And so we we can take authority of that, um, especially by the things that we say. We can, even just in conversations that we're having among ourselves, a husband, a wife, or a friend, that our kids are picking up on and are hearing fear. But we can speak faith and trust, and they start taking cue from that. My mom was such a faith at, you know, I talked about sitting on the bed and having that faith. Where did I get that from? I got that from the example my mom had, that she trusted the Lord for every paycheck to stretch. She would tell me, things are kind of tight this week. We've got $10 to make it this week, but God is going to take care of us. So all along, she had been putting that inside of me by what she would say and what she would do. Well, with that $10 in Canada, you could have got some of those old Dutch ketchup chips. Oh, come on now. Oh, that's so gross. Oh, no. So your mom, (laughs) um, you left Canada and went to California for um, Bible college. So what are you shaking your head about? So you left your mom in Canada. Um, How hard was that? Because you were an only child. Your mom was, I was assuming, still single at the time. Um, so you just left her, not only out of, out of the state, Wow, the way the you country. word that. Well, Man, I mean, it sounds like I was a bad <laughs> girl. <laughs> no, I mean, how, how, did, how, did that, how did that affect her? That, that was a toll she had to, mm-hmm. you know, how was that? Well, okay, let me tell you. <laughs> it's going to sound like I'm making my mom to be superwoman. She is not at all. But the greatest desire my mom had is that I would serve the Lord, and she wanted me, if it was God's will, to be in ministry. So when I felt a calling and decided to go to Bible school, she thought that was the absolute coolest thing. She was so excited. She's, she's not a selfish person. So she looked at it opposite as like, oh, wow, like, God, you are so awesome that you would 
allow Stacy to go to Bible college. So, and the, and I was very adventurous. I was, I thought that was pretty neat to be able to go off several thousands of miles away and, and go to a Bible college in California. So it it worked out. Where's your mom at today? My mom lives in Boston, and she's been there a little over 20 years. She is a licensed minister, so she's in her 70s, and she got her license when she was uh, 69. Wow. Yeah, yeah she's wow. a neat lady. Very, very interesting. Uh, this is going to be a very personal question, uh, but I'm dying to ask. You were raised in a single mother home. Um, Dad wasn't there because he left. You, know, you guys were very young. And, and so I'm going to ask a very broad question because you were basically raised Pentecostal your entire life, correct? Do you ever feel like when, when you look back on your years growing up that you ever missed out on anything? And the reason why I'm asking that is twofold. Is Number one is as a, as a child from a single-parent home, do you feel like you missed out on these experiences that friends at school they had? Or was was your life so fulfilled that you never really thought about that? And then the other side of it is a very practical side for the young ladies that may be listening to this, that they're raised in a Pentecostal home and maybe they're wanting to dress like their friends at school or go do things that their friends at school are doing. And, and I'm sure you kind of grew up with that. Do you ever feel like there were things that you missed out on or was your life just blessed? Um, I, I did have times where I would just kind of wish, man, I wish I could look like my friends, wish I could wear that or, or do that. And, and this is kind of funny because this shows just as a young girl, kind of your, your thinking at times. So my dad, uh, my, I'll just give you a really brief background. My mom and dad were both raised Catholic. As I mentioned, when I was four, we got into Pentecost, we came into a Pentecostal church. When I was eight, my dad became a Jehovah's Witness. And uh, he lived many, many miles apart, so we didn't really live together. We didn't see each other a whole lot. But I remember thinking, kind of during those little times of rebellion, or I would get mad at my mom or something, and I'd be like, oh, I just, I just wish I could just wear a pair of pants right now. And I'm going to just go live with my dad because then I can just dress however I want or I can do whatever I want. And then I'd go, oh, man, then I can't have Christmas because they don't celebrate Christmas. <laughs> I was Exactly. didn't celebrate birthdays. So and so then I would come back and go, well, maybe it's not. OK, it's not so bad. I didn't want to give Christmas up or my birthday. But no, absolutely. I, I did have those times. Uh, I remember. And I went to a public school, which I'm very, very thankful for because I feel like it did make me stronger. And that was, you know, that was for me. Everyone is different. But I felt like it made me stronger in my faith because I had to work out some things all the way back, you know, elementary, junior high, high school of, you know, why do I do this? Do I really believe this? And the older I got and really just the closer I got to the Lord, and really sought a very close personal relationship with him. A lot of those things just didn't become as big of a deal. I love the fact that I could go into a grocery store or Walmart, pardon me, we didn't have Walmart growing up, sorry, Kmart, uh, Woolco, and go into those places and someone would immediately identify me as being a Christian. They maybe didn't even know what I believed, but they would say, are you a Christian? And I thought that was, I thought it was a privilege. 
So I, I did, I had to work out some of those things, but at the end of it, I felt like it's an honor and a privilege to be able to set, be set apart and, and be a light to people. All right, let's switch gears just a little bit. Um, in the last few moments, I kind of want to talk about something that's not really talked about anymore. Um, I, w- I want you to kind of talk to our younger ladies about um, the way, not necessarily that we dress, but I do want you to address that, but the way we live also, because I think it is very important for people to know the difference in why we dress and why we act and why we are set apart from the world. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever uh, I was growing up, everybody knows that our youth director was Brent Coltharp. And he's now the Illinois District Superintendent, good friends with your husband. And he made it so clear to me, and I wish everybody saw it this clear, but he said that whenever you're in the military, you're given a uniform for, for a reason. And that's because when you go into battle, you don't want to have friendly fire. You want to have a distinct identity with who the enemy is. And so that was just so crystal clear to me on why I should be set apart um, physically, not just spiritually, but physically from the world. So uh, can you talk a little bit about um, that with the, the younger female listeners that we may have listening right now? Sure. Well, and of course, the scripture that comes to my mind, and it's one that is quoted a lot, but it is a directive, and that is, you know, be ye holy, for I am holy. The Lord is always calling us to separation. When you look at the Old Testament and how it intertwines with the New Testament, God has always wanted people to be separated unto Him. And uh, it's I've heard my husband preach about holiness and different things, and I've done lessons. And we've taught it from the separation is not just from something. We're not just separating ourselves from the world and making ourselves distinct on purpose just to be different. We're separating ourselves unto something, and that's the Lord. And so, and, and you can't miss the word consecration. So as you are consecrating your life, this is the way I look at it. When I get up in the morning and what I say, what I think, what I do, what I wear, everything I'm wanting it to show the Lord, I am committed to you, I am dedicated to you. And so even just from the practical things of where I go or don't go or what I wear, all of that, that is just a daily reminder, Lord, I'm consecrated, I've consecrated my life unto you, I'm separated myself for your glory. And again, I know I alluded to it earlier, but to me, what it it's just a privilege. And if you focus on the the nots and the don'ts and we can't which i hate that because we do have the liberty to do what we want and so it's more of just what you're focusing on and if you are constantly look at well i you know the negatives if you will then you're going to constantly desire after those things because you're focusing on it but the life that we are living is just there's nothing like this i love representing the Lord everywhere that I go. Well, one of the things that I've learned on on the podcast since we've been doing this is I wish I could remember who said it, but they said, you know, if we would focus more on what can I do to get to heaven instead of what do I have to do to get to heaven, you know, it it really makes your heart change its priorities. And I really think that once you 
start you know studying and looking into stuff and i'm talking way more stuff than doctor and stuff you know i'm talking about stuff you know what can i do to make my daily walk with god better because you know religion tells you what you you know what you got to do to get to heaven and you know religion's kind of a funny thing to me because uh, i remember when i was growing up uh and, and our youth crew uh, we were talking about this and I heard somebody say, well, if I see T.D. Jakes in heaven, I'm going to have an issue with that because I live so much more strict than them. You know, it's just, it's just people's mentality and mindset of, well, what do I have to do now? You know, like you said, I consider it a privilege to be able to, you know, give God my best, you know, whether it be with the way I dress or whether it be, you know, being clean cut or whether it be just devoting. I, I, I set up on my phone, uh, Brother Harkin preached at our church last last Sunday about, you know, if you have a great prayer life, awesome, congratulations. I struggle with that. And I was like, okay, now we're going to relay here because sometimes I don't know what I'm doing or what I can do better. And so I set an alarm on my phone at 7 a.m. for every single morning that, you know, this is your prayer time. And maybe from 7 to 7.01, but that, that one minute that I'm going to give God, that is God's time, you know. So it's it's best to do stuff for you, to start somewhere. And I, I'm very thankful that you, you made that very clear to our listeners. I know it can be kind of difficult to, to, to relay how you feel in your heart, but I would definitely recommend, Brian, you know, that people really study for yourself because you're really big into studying some stuff. And, you know, we talk on the phone and you're going off on these rants saying, I just got to go somewhere and give a Bible study. And, you know, I'm so thankful for people like that, that they they study and they get it into their heart and they have to share it with others. Mm-hmm, sure. So. And even just talking about our consecrations, and I love that word because we can use the word standards and things like that. Maybe it has a little bit of a negative connotation, but just our consecrations, because that's what we've made at, is truthfully liberating and a lot of times it's never looked at that and especially from a woman's point of view think of it this way I do not have to get up in the morning and make sure that I have my face done before I can go get mail out of the mailbox I can just walk out there put a ball cap on (laughs) greet my neighbors a cup yeah a blue jays To get out there, there's a freedom in that, that I don't have to feel so bound that I can't let people see who I really am. And I remember a long time ago, we had a lady that was a new convert, and she said this to me. She said, I have never felt more freedom in in wearing skirts. And I said, well, explain that. What do you mean? And she said, and I know I'm talking to two guys here. She said, there's such pressure in our world today of like how you look in your jeans and and how you appear. And she said, every day I would have to just examine myself of did I measure up? And she said, when I put a skirt on, I just instantly felt feminine and modest and gone were those fears of did I measure up? I'd never heard of that before. And of course I grew up in this and that really, I guess that challenged my thinking too for women especially, that there's actually a freedom through that. And so many times it's said opposite, that we're in bondage. But I challenge it. I feel like we are the ones in freedom. Absolutely. Well, this has been a rock star of an episode. Uh, we thank you so much for sitting down and talking with us. Very challenging for you. Oh, my word. I'm reading the most challenging book, literally, I've ever read before. It's called Switch on Your Brain by Carolyn Leaf. 
and it is all about your thought processes. And it's not just one of the, um, you know, think positive kind of ones like that. It literally shows you the science of what takes place in your brain by the way that you think and all the residual effects on your body, on your outlook, your attitude. So it's, it's a deep read in the fact that it has a lot of science stuff and I'm trying to feel smart by reading that part of it. But it is, it, I hate saying this because it sounds so cliched, is really changing me. And you kind of journal as you go through it and patterns of thinking that I've had for many, many years, didn't even realize that I had it, um, have started just being released from my mind. It is, it's incredible. I definitely recommend that book. Have you learned any cool words in it? New words? Neuroplasticity. I like that. Doesn't that make me sound <laughs> yeah. smart? What does that mean? How that you can change your brain. Your brain actually, okay, I'm just going to give you two minutes of this because it's the, it's so cool. She's a, she's a Christian, and she said that she does all of her studies in the Word of God first, and then she goes to science, and she said science is catching up with the Word of God. But neuroplasticity, uh, see, I can't even repeat it again. That was a one time. <laughs> see, that, that's one of those words that it costs you 50 cents every time you say it or something like that. But yeah, with all of your thoughts are building protein, they're actually building things in your brain. And from that is how you think and your perceptions and even causes you your emotional responses. And so you can change your brain. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty fascinating. It's always neat whenever you find a book that you can nerd out over after the fact like the one book that that caused me to kind of nerd out this was his book uh, i cannot think of what the author's name is it's a book entitled the cyber effect and it's a it's a book that talks about how human behavior changes online and how it's uh, changing the way that we think and how that children are raised and being in front of a screen and things like that and that was one of those books and i haven't finished it. i'm actually listening to it and uh, that's one of those books that uh there's a few times that actually even during this podcast uh it's been a long time. I've been listening to it for a long time. It's like an 18-hour listen, and I've just been listening to it like little snippets at a time. And uh, we actually did a podcast one time, and I was like, I really hope we can bring something up about the Internet on this because I want to start talking about this book. So it's always fun finding a, a book that's challenging. Um, so Tony asked about a book that you are reading. What, what is a book that is formative to you that you would recommend to anybody from – all the books that you've ever read or, or know of that you would say, I would encourage someone, if there's any book that I can encourage you to get, get this one. It's an old one, but it's one that I will go back to even every few years, and it's called Lies That Women Believe. And I really recommend it for you guys, too. It's really good. No, geez. <laughs> my humor. I'm not. <laughs> so sorry. I'm not sure. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm sharing sure. women's stuff, and I'm standing I, in front of two men. You know, that's fine, though. Because uh, who better to have the conversation with than, than a couple of guys that can just be like, hey, man, we support you. And That's right. You're I don't right. know. Well, and you're married. Yeah, we're both married. Yeah, so yeah. You, you want your wives to be better. And he's raising a daughter. And a daughter. They've got a, they've got a version for young girls. But Lies That Women Believe was a, actually came from a Bible study that I did, oh, my goodness, six or seven years ago at our church. And we did a lot of Bible studies after that. And you, if you ask any one of those women, what was your favorite Bible study, it would be that one. It's just, it's a very uh, foundational book for things that, regarding your thinking and, and how you feel. And What we're going to do, Brian, we're going to buy that book and we're going to give it away at this episode. That's what we'll do. 
There you go. I guess I'll buy it. <laughs> Is your life stressful? Um, I think that it has elements of it. Simply just, you know, a lot of things that we're involved in. But I feel like it's your choice whether you make it stressful. And I, and I hope that I'm doing an okay job on doing things that help alleviate that. I feel like a lot of stress is, can be brought on by ourselves. Mm-hmm. The reason why I ask is because I think I've heard before that like being a pastor's wife is like the third most stressful job in America or the second most stressful job in America. Like the only thing that's more stressful is being the president of the United States. On top of that, you're a mother. Um, and then on top of that, you are the first lady of the Arkansas district. And on top of that, you guys have to go and you guys are ministering all these different districts and there's a spotlight on you and people are watching you. And, and, and my curi- my, my question to you is this, is that how, how have you learned to manage your stress so that way, and how, how could, how would you encourage someone out there that feels like they've got more on their plate than what they can eat and how they can manage through the stress that they've got. I think you have to stop many times and look at your life honestly of the things that are necessary that you are called to be a part of. And the main thing is what are some things someone else could do? Uh, This helped me many, many years ago. I looked at everything that only I could do. And it was amazing it was a small number of things. There were a lot of other things. Someone else could, if I you know, died tomorrow, someone could come and do that. But there's no one else that's gonna be a wife to Tim, be the mother to my children. Uh, being a pastor's wife is something that I is very dear to my heart. I love, love serving in ministry. And there are certain things that I look at. Um, other things could be done by other people, but there are things that are maybe special for a pastor's wife. So I try to focus my time in on that. That alleviates a lot of stress when you're not trying to spread yourself too thin all the time. Now, does it happen? Of course, there's times you just go through that and I think God gives you grace. But I think overall, we just have to constantly uh, look at our schedules critically and, and try to ease out of things that someone else could do that. Maybe I'm not passionate about it. That's helped me. One thing that's really helped me is to take off self-imposed expectations. I put a lot of expectation on myself. I'm a very critical, per- self-critical person, and I hate to disappoint people, and, I, and I'm a perfectionist. That's like the worst combination all the way around. That is a, that is a ticket for stress, but when you start taking off those self-exposed imposed expectations um, and and you can't separate your walk with the Lord because he is the one that helps just realign those priorities and things like that so those are things I've learned over the years not in the beginning is it fair to be that self-critical against yourself no it's not good at all it's a two-edged sword it keeps me sharp I think because I'm not ever really fully satisfied with how I'm always trying to learn and grow and be better but then the other side of that is I'm I'm hard on myself and then I get down on myself yeah because I know I I feel the same way about myself like if I were to grade myself I always feel like f minus whenever whenever I grade myself and like it, it, it surprised me whenever anyone ever seems to kind of give some sort of affirmation and I'm like really me like if I preach a message and somebody comes by and says, hey, you did a great job. I'm like, which message did you hear? 
because I always, especially if I go back and listen again, I always feel like, why in the world did I say that one word? If I should have just said that one word different, it could have been better. And I just, I feel like whenever I do that, it's so unfair in that, you know, that there's just like an unfair ex- expectation of, like you said, perfection. And and, and we don't do it with other people. Right. I mean, we made a little yeah. bit, but... We give them a break. Yeah. And the only time we don't is if we're trying to find a flaw in them to make us feel better. Sure. That would be, or at least with me. I mean, that's, that's you know, it's like the scripture says, don't compare yourselves amongst yourselves. So there's a reason why is that you're, you know, that it's, it, it's unfair to expect it in others. And it's certainly unfair to expect it in yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's a trap. I think that's such a trap from the enemy because really, do you know what the root of that is? It's pride. And we don't look at it that way because we think of pride as we think we're great and we're all that. Pride is anything that keeps pointing back to us. So when we focus on our weaknesses and our insufficiencies, and I'm, and I'm literally I'm focusing on that because I'm feeling bad or I'm trying to be better, then the Lord will remind me again, that's pride. You're thinking, you're not looking to me. You're looking at yourself. And so it's on both spectrums. And, and we know we're not to be prideful, so... Well, this has been a great way to spend a Saturday. Uh, thank you so much for uh, spending time with Brian and I. Um, you spread some great wisdom and shared it with our, our, our listeners. Um, and Brian, I don't know about you, but whenever you were talking about fear and how you felt as a child and how your mom refused to let that just instill in your life, I, I pray that this generation can grab hold of that, even though... You know, they may not be facing something like that immediately, but they could go back to the story you shared with us and that you really can have faith over fear. I think that's kind of cliche. You know, it's almost overused because of everything that's going on in our world right now. But, you know, it, it, it truly is we have we have hope outside of what's going on right now. There's not a phrase I dislike more than the phrase everything that's going on right now. Every every time I hear someone every time I hear someone say it, I cringe. And and and, and admittedly, Tony, I say it too, because it was just, Bro. yeah, yeah. That is your worst phrase you ever. You say that way too much. But but you know the thing is, is that when people are talking about all the time, well, you know all all that's going around. And to me, I'm just like, well, just say what's going on. You're you're thinking of coronavirus. Why can't you just say coronavirus? But you know the thing is, is that what that phrase is to me when I really analyze it is it's a focus on everything that's bad because people will be talking about, well, you know, right now at work and everything, well, with everything going on and it's everything they're talking about that's going on is negative riots, disease, pestilence, all this infection, this disease that's going around. Everything that's going on is always something negative. I wonder if we can change our perspective and we start talking about how, well, at church, well, with everything going on, we're going to have to knock down another wall and, and add in more pews because with everything going on and everything going on is people receiving the Holy Ghost and people getting baptized in Jesus' name and people repenting of their sins and, and people deciding that this is the lifestyle they want to live. Why can't we think of everything going on as something that can be positive? Through all the mess and the disasters that's going on in people's lives and things that would give them fear, why not focus on the things that give you hope? And so the next time you're talking to someone and you say, well, you know, with everything going on, 
I hope that what you're conveying is a message of everything that's going on that's good, that's something from God, that's something that God is doing in your life. With everything going on, God has spoken to me through all of this. And God has ministered to me in all this because with everything going on, I've had a chance to pray more and get along with Him more. This has been The Crucial Conversation.